Hi, everybody, and welcome back to yet another cracking installment of the Map Round Show. This is the Built in California series, and with me on the line uh, is an incredible founder, an incredible visionary, um, and his name is Anil Paryani, and he is the founder and CEO of Amp.tech. I, I see there. I saw, I saw what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> I did Perfect. it. I did you it first did time. It. There was not even a rehearsal there. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. Well, look, um, thanks for being here. You're a real jet setter. So just for everyone's information, it's been tough to nail this this man down. So, uh, And it's because he's a true, true legend of the field. So um, so Anil, if you would be so kind as to, uh, just, you know, kick our audience around the world off with a bit about your background and, you know, maybe touch on some of the stuff there that you did at Tesla. Um, and then, you know, share with us a bit about the origin story to AMP. Yeah. Appreciate it, Matt. And thank you. I'm relatively a modest person. So I feel like we've all had some contributions to society. And I think sometimes I feel I get, uh, promoted, but there's many people I've worked with and have many heroes that I, you know, would love to acknowledge at a later date. But um, acknowledgements are very boring on a podcast. So let me just cut to the chase, tell you a little bit about myself. Um, just uh, uh, um, perfect pronunciation. My name is Anil Puriani. I'm CEO of, uh, of AMP. Uh, some people call us AMP. Um, and we are uh, solving uh, energy prop poverty. And I feel like there's three reasons uh, in an ideal situation on why we work for a living if we're so blessed to. Like one is to be able to uh, to do something that you enjoy. I tell my kids, if you do that, you never have to work a day in your life. If that thing that you enjoy also gives back to society, so you leave the earth and the world or your workplace better off than you inherited it, you have a sense of fulfillment and the third reason is to make money. So mm-hmm. I'll stop yep. right there. <laughs> we need it. I'll come back to that. Let me just take a note. <laughs> so, um, so let's talk about AMP. Um, what would you say? Well, I mean, you know what it is, but what is the problem that you guys are solving? Because it's quite a unique position or take on sustainable energy management. Yeah. So people don't realize this, but there's actually in the news um, in this the paper today that I, and I sometimes I read the digital version of the LA Times and it talked about what's going on with the uh, solar subsidies. And ironically, there's uh, uh, some environmental groups against this. And right now the problem that they're talking about is uh, equating cost of energy amongst all eco uh, social status, uh, you know, users in society, um, which is uh, super important. But what's also not typically talked about is the amount of curtailment of solar energy that happens um, every single uh, day in parts of the world. And um, particularly I'm in California and there's some places, uh, sometimes of the year, particularly around the springtime, where there's enough solar curtail that could have charged 200,000 electric vehicles for free. And uh, what really bothers me is when we don't solve the root of the problem. So part of the question you asked, AMP, we're here existing to solve what we call energy poverty. Um, now, traditionally, this has been third world, but with what's going on in Ukraine and Russia and Europe, and even if you look at recent uh, hurricanes in Puerto Rico, uh, there's wildfires in California. 
uh, and there's occasional winter storms in Texas, we are also that uh, well off in the U.S. as well. So uh, right now, AMP, we have some technology uh, related to vehicle to grid to be able to utilize the energy uh, from solar and wind that's curtailed instead of just shutting it down or making uh, very bad political decisions to uh, not give the right uh, you know, incentives to uh, have a carbon-free society. Uh, what we want to do at AMP is basically unlock that ability to absorb energy, which is thrown away, and put it in the vehicle's battery pack that you already buy and be able to have a situation where you can charge for free. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's quite a, that's quite interesting in and of itself because uh, one of the things um, I was learning about uh, you guys was that when you think about like a battery management system, like you would think that, uh, well, and I guess what I, where I'm going with this, uh, Anil, is to get very clear on like what it is that you guys are actually doing because it's not about battery production. It's about the energy management systems around electric vehicles or EV-powered you know, assets, if you like. Uh, is that correct? That is correct. Um, interesting enough, um, uh, hardware uh, manufacturing being in California aren't really – areas of interest by traditional uh, VCs. We have VC backers that we call hard tech investors where they're used to investing in some sort of hardware solutions. Now we haven't gone the full uh, you know, fathom in building an electric car. Some companies are trying to build battery packs. We're really focused on electronics and software through partnerships. Um, and what you had stated, I'll just kind of round it out. We call it energy management. And what's unique about us is uh, taking in onboard charging and battery management aspects on a vehicle, driving down the cost so more people can have electric and not just uh, electric cars, but we could say electric buses, heavy duty vehicles, but all the way down the scooters. And those uh, electric devices have energy storage built in. What can we do to make the charging, we say, bidirectional so it can charge the pack uh, when the sun's out and there's a lot of solar, but then when the sun goes down, be able to discharge some of the energy back to the grid to uh, support um, the grid in a clean and very low cost manner. Mm. One of the things uh, I saw uh, on uh, YouTube over the weekend uh, was this uh, to put it to put what you guys do in perspective is there there was this uh, short video on YouTube I've got it up for everyone so if they, again if you're watching if you're listening to this head on over to YouTube <laughs> and subscribe because we're showing stuff all the time um, but basically uh, what I'm looking at Anil is essentially uh, a scooter graveyard that's out in China and there's probably like a hundred thousand mm-hmm. uh, scooters with batteries. Um, that are just literally now sitting in aisles and aisles and aisles and rows and rows and rows of, you know, just yeah. dead waste, which is, I mean, I'm sure you agree with me, like that's that's a real cluster, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> of a problem. Um, and uh, whereas like, and one of the things that what you guys, what your solutions can do is you can, it's not about like the battery management system. It's also about the ability to extend the life of, batteries through more effective energy management uh, solutions, right? So you wouldn't have this situation where there's 100,000 dead scooters because the batteries are dead, as an example. Yeah, you know, um, I was getting my hair cut and 
my barber was like, I'm anti-electric vehicle. And then I looked at her and said, like, why? And she said, oh, because uh, there's a big hazardous waste problem when batteries are uh, at end of life. And I think pictures like that uh, definitely um, stick in people's heads. And they're like, this is creating a problem rather than actually solving a problem. And I think what hap- what's happening, especially on the scooter world, and we all look at, you know, um, you know, around the city centers, a whole bunch of unused scooters maybe kicked to the side. And there definitely was a lot of oversupply in that market and a lot of bad product that got put out. Um, I think what Amp's trying to do, and, you know, I just so maybe with uh, uh, my barber just basically said, you know, this should happen with the proper battery management system. That battery in an electric car should last for 15 years. In a proper scooter, it's going to last for five years. Um, And then, uh, you know, there's a lot of companies now doing recycling. Uh, That doesn't quite exist because a couple of reasons. One, there's not really any hazardous waste in uh, lithium batteries. People don't realize that. Lead acid batteries, hazardous. Lithium batteries, it's basically nickel and carbon and a little bit of copper. Um, so, But because they're relatively cheap materials, um, no one's really come up with a good way to profitably recycle the batteries. But there's a lot of companies' activities. I was just at a conference in San Diego, and there must have been 20 papers on how to recycle lithium batteries. So that problem that you saw is uh, not going to end up being long-term reality. Mm. So one of the things um, that I know to be true was uh, something I think Mike shared with me, but he was basically saying like, uh, you know, the current power grid in California cannot support the current EV market. So unless somehow we figure out how to use the power in the vehicle to power the vehicle itself, um, then, you know, this, even though you're going EV, you're actually still putting strain on the power grid so like, and this is like, that's, that's not a BS, like that's the current yeah. situation, you are like, and your, and your, ex, you know, your experience working at, you know, this, right. And so yes. your, your opportunity is to say, listen, instead of taking all these EV uh, vehicles and connecting them to infrastructure that's already strained and that cannot handle the capacity yeah. that, uh, where AMP comes in is that you guys are developing technology that extends the life of the or the ability of the vehicle to power itself without having to need a power wall from Tesla for 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 argument's sake. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, we're trying to right now. The utilities and others are looking at electric vehicles as a problem, and we're going to turn that around and make that a solution. Um, and uh, and just give you a reference, a power wall. I haven't checked the latest prices, but. You get about 10 kilowatt hours of energy for probably, by the time you're done, you're spending 15 to $20,000 on that. If you buy a Tesla Model 3 for about $60,000, you have about five, six times more energy available. And by the way, you already bought the car. So um, not, there are going to be use cases for the Powerwall and that sort of business, but we feel mm. that um, every car should have uh, the proper battery management charging systems so we don't have the battery deterioration that's typically associated with uh, V2G because you're using the battery twice as much as you normally would. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Yeah, B2G being battery to grid, right? Or yeah, V2G vehicle to vehicle to grid sorry. is the industry term. Okay. Um, so just for your information, according to let's see here, uh, this old house, credible news source, but the power of a <laughs> the the price of a new Tesla Powerwall is eleven and a half grand. Um so I I I actually went to uh Park Meadows here. It's like a fancy you know, like affluent sort of, you know. A shopping center and they've actually got tesla in like a store inside the shopping mall which i thought was really interesting and apparently they're like partnering with like apple or they have partnered with apple to help them design these tesla stores anyway so i walked in there um and i was looking because i got kids and what have you so i was looking at the i think it was like the model x so here so <laughs> i want to have a bit of fun with you anil so sh- how sustainable is it actually do you know what i mean like if i'm dropping 60 grand on a car and i was having this conversation with my wife i was like you know every like today when you buy a product it's the 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 general trend is like well why am i buying this well i'm buying it because it's sustainable or it's more in it's carbon footprint zero or whatever that's why i buy this brand of food from this person or this company um, so if you're buying a $60,000 Model X, say, and then you've got a power wall, which, you know, does what it does from an energy efficiency perspective, like how sustainable is it if that 60,000 Tesla times then a hundred thousand million, um, it, you know what I mean? Like if it's still drawing on energy from the grid, like, is it really a sustainable quote unquote, in terms of the motivation behind yeah. why people buy these yeah. cars? Okay. So. Um, just to round out the numbers, and it sounds unbelievable. So last 22, we curtailed enough solar to charge 30 million Model 3s. 30 million just in the state of California alone. Hmm. So there's not a – and the, well, here's the caveat. That excess of power happens at 2 p.m. In the, during the day. And so where are people at 2 p.m.? They're either working remotely from home or they're typically at work. And so what we need to do is like, and now um, the, whether it's Inflation Reduction Act or whatever, local incentives, we need to put the right charge stations to where people are at two o'clock. And then these vehicles can freely, we're doing actually the utilities a favor by, it's more work for them to shut off the power than to actually um, let vehicles charge. Mm. So I just wanna let that sink in a little bit. So. There's plenty of room to add capacity if we can put the right infrastructure in with the right incentives so people charge in the middle of the day. Hmm. And this is ironic from like 10, 20 years ago when there was not enough power 
at that time. Mm-hmm. We can do that with the right solar incentives, so uh, people can, uh, we'll say, co-invest with the with the utilities and the government. We will be able to work towards a zero carbon uh, grid. And ironically, there are a lot of people who buy electric cars that want to further invest um, in things like solar power. So we need to have the right policy to enable that. So uh, very like liquid markets, especially now, uh, just globally with what's happening. Um, one of the things uh, I'm cognizant of t- is to ask you, is your is your market opportunity, well, firstly, how big is your market opportunity? Because it seems to me it's like anything with the battery <laughs> is, <laughs> is basically your market. So like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like how is how big is this thing? I mean, it's got... Yeah. I mean, it's got to be yeah. huge. Well, it's not only anything with the battery, but it's anything that runs any sort of combustion. And again, scooters and even, we'll say, forklifts to cars uh, to heavy. And I'll stop at heavy-duty vehicles. I, you know, there's probably like maybe long haul. You know, there's definitely other applications like boating and airplanes, which right now we're not dipping our feet in. Uh, but it's over a trillion-dollar market opportunity. I think 1.4, if I remember right, our investor decks. One point four so trillion. <laughs> so it's not that big then. I mean, you've got some room, room to grow, right? <laughs> yeah, and the nice thing is, there's plenty. I have, I have a lot of friends and colleagues from Tesla that I've also uh, done successfully in startups, and so there's plenty of room for a lot of people to succeed. I don't think I need it. Amp doesn't need one point four trillion dollars of revenue. Or investors would probably love that. Yeah, for sure. So mm-hmm. what what have you built then? <clears throat> or what are you in the process of building? What What is the product? Yeah, so we've been out for five and a half years. I'll say uh, we started out developing a charging software stack that simply communicated to the charge stations. And um, everyone who is someone in California ended up becoming our uh, customers, so a lot of the e-startups. And uh, that was a good way to start with the software-only solution. We've also... In parallel, we're developing uh, battery management software hardware systems and onboard charging uh, systems. Uh, We have our first onboard charging uh, products on about 15 different uh, vehicles, mostly heavy-duty, some passenger car. And what our charging products do is it makes uh, uh, AC and DC charging uh, much easier for the OEM because our solutions are um, much smaller, can be packaged within the battery pack and solve key functional safety challenges to making sure the battery packs or uh, the wiring doesn't uh, really catch on fire. So that's that's our immediate products. We are also in development of some really cool, we haven't quite announced this yet, maybe first time it's going out, but some really uh, innovative cloud based software for people that are using their own hardware where they can log in and make sense of the data to give them the ability uh, to control their own destiny in regards to energy management. Very, very interesting. I think it's it's a fascinating space, um, truly, like energy these days. Um, Like healthcare, funnily enough. I think there's probably a direct proportionate amount of innovation going into both, you know, versus say financial services, which is like a little bit lower <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, on the totem pole of hardcore innovation. 
Um, but um, curious to maybe understand a bit more around um, something, well, and firstly around the standards of battery management because seems to me like if you're in the battery management business, everyone, it's like a usual thing. You've got all these OEMs doing their own thing, their own way with their own standards. You come in with battery management, cloud-based, cool, hardcore innovation products. And then like, how do you tackle things like battery standardization when, when all the OEMs so, are doing things a different way? So I'll tell a story. Um, in 2010, I snuck on, what's called SAE, Society of Automotive Engineers, Fast Charge Committee. We, were, we started the model S development, and I didn't really ask for permission at Tesla. And usually at Tesla, you want to do something, you just, at least back then, you just did it. Hold on, I'm just going to grab a sip of water. So I was leading the communication standard, and there were some constraints. Um, the person from Ford said we have to maintain backwards compatibility compatible to the older charge stations in the 90s. Uh, there was a Nissan contingent that were like, hey, let's use um, Chatamo because they had spent a lot of time developing Chatamo, which is a Japanese uh, standard brought up by the utilities there. And uh, so started working with those constraints and um, developing something compromised. And somehow the CTO of Tesla, JB Schraubel, found out I was on the committee. He's like, Anil, I want to talk to you. And I'm like, hey, JB, what's going on? He said, hey, why are you on the SAE committee leading with fast charging? Uh, he's all you got. Uh, you're working on the Model S, plus we had a smart EV program. We had Daimler A-Class, Daimler B-Class. And by the way, we had Toyota RAV4. So I had six vehicle programs, very small team. Um, he's all get off the committee. And I'm like, what are you talking about, JB? Don't you want to come up and lead the standard in electric vehicles that's going to be good for Tesla and good for society? And he's like, no, by the time the auto industry gets their heads around this, we're going to already be moved along and they're going to come up with something far compromised than what we want to do. And so I got off the committee. Um, and I don't know, I think a lot of your audience may drive Teslas. They're, uh, they probably like the Tesla supercharger infrastructure. The handle is very small. Uh, there's not this bulk with the standard um, and features such as like what we call plug in charge, just work um, more convenient than a gas station. And so JB was right. I'm glad like I had a chance to work with really good mentors. Ironically, because the standard that was developed, I ended up going back six months later just to check in how the committee uh direction, what path they came in. And I realized uh, two software engineers from uh, Daimler and BMW took over my spot. And being software engineers, um, they wanted to create a lot of sophistication and uh, flexibility. And so they came up with something. Sorry, I'm going a little deep, but it's a very interesting story. Uh, Powerline communications to communicate over that backwards compatible uh, line communications that the Ford team didn't want to abandon. So we have this power line communications that uh, ended up becoming so hard to do. AMP right now is one of maybe five companies in the world that know how to communicate between a battery management system on a car to a charge station. And mm -hmm. so JV was right. It was very complicated and sophisticated. Ironically, it's been a benefit for AMP because of that uh, complexity. We're one of the only companies in the world that can solve the problems for the OEM car makers. Very cool. 
Very, very cool. How does it make you feel when you can say, like, you're one of the only <laughs> companies in the world that can solve something pretty hardcore? You know, well, in this case, AMP, we can get a lot of customers and we can make a little bit of money. We're not making a lot of money on this, but it's actually a disservice to the industry that to charge communication standards so hard. Because if I'm a heavy-duty, small EOEM, it's really hard to actually fast charge. And so it is a disservice to getting electrifications out. Ironically, AMP is benefiting from that complexity. So I got mixed feelings about this. My environmentalist, I wish the standard was much simpler. Uh, me, the businessman, the CEO, is happy it's so complicated and sophisticated. Mm. So um, I'd be amiss to not ask you this, but how do you approach innovation? You know what I mean? Like, with something like you just like with what you just mentioned or uh, yeah well in this everything case, was, else you're doing like yeah you... i think there's two things uh, i think in this case uh, when i was at faraday future we solved this problem by spending a million dollars on a supplier and adding a 20 dollar linux controller so immediately because of my experience i saw there was a problem and when we started AMP, I'm like, hey, we have a really creative way to solve this. And that's why every California EOEM uses our software stack. Um, there's another side of innovation that I think a lot of tech engineers tend to have, um, and maybe even some business CEOs, but it's that light bulb moment that happens when you're in that deja vu between awake and asleep, maybe around three o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden your brain cells work in a weird way and sometimes things that become obviously inapparent, um, but no one's thought of, becomes the pathway to reality. And so those are my two ways of uh, innovating. I think a lot of, I have about 34 patents. I, ironically, I probably think about 30 of the 34 was like kind of ideated in three, at three o'clock in the morning when I was, my brain was just working at warp speed. So you suffer like me. <laughs> uh, Yes. Kids ruin my sleep. I think since I was able to come up, uh, yeah, I always slept one night open. And then <laughs> Haven't you found that though? Like, isn't it interesting here? Like, so my kids are, I don't know how old yours are, but mine are like eight and eight. Well, in fact, seven, Frank's turning eight next month. Uh, but um, yeah, and then because of all like the, the disrupted sleep patterns, like I always had you know like so they wake you up but then i can't go back to sleep you know what i mean like i can fall asleep yes. quite easy but it's like but now you've worked you've woken my ass up now now i'm awake you know what i mean so then you sit there at 3 a.m and it's like well what am i supposed to <laughs> what am i yeah. supposed to do with my life right. <laughs> at 3 a.m in the morning well let me just come up with a new design for a patent pending solution for any you know exactly yeah yeah for those <laughs> listeners who don't have kids like yeah once you have kids you sleep with one eye open it's really weird and now it's the same. Now it's like even if they don't wake your ass up, now you just yeah. sleep at three. Yes. It's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, another conversation for another time, I suppose. Um, so this tweet uh, went out with, with uh, President Biden, which I thought was quite funny, and, but also I think relevant to this conversation. So by the way, I, I'm loving Twitter right now. I don't know if you are on Twitter. Uh, but basically, uh, uh, Biden tweets, uh, the following, he says, we're building 500,000 electric vehicle charging stations across the country. And then he says, the great American road trip will be fully electrified. And then uh, Elon chirps in there, he goes, uh, or you can just buy a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. 
um <clears throat> what uh, what it, when we talk about that idea of like the the electrified road trip or this shift from you know natural fossil fuels to sustainable energy production and when you think about what you're doing and 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 what the public sector is uh doing from a stimulation perspective i i know there was this massive bill that went out but like is is the is 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 enough being done from a stimulus perspective in this space you know what i mean because we're not talking yeah. there's so, like it's like there's elon and tesla and then there's you guys you know what i mean and then there's like a few other, like a few other people innovating but it's like where, where's the rate you know because it's like that so, that that response from elon kind of sums it up it's like kind of like you're a bit yeah. out of touch with reality yeah there's a lot there but let me bring it back to my opening statement uh having government invest in charging in the right spots is super important. Fast charge infrastructure in between major corridors is very expensive to bring high power cables to those spots. And it's very hard to do that in a sustainable zero CO2 fashion. So my, and I think this is the fallacy to, let's say, American uh, car ownership. Everyone buys, and I'm guilty of this too, I'm a hypocrite. But you buy a car for that 0.1% use case when I want to go 0 to 60 in whatever, two or three seconds. Or, hey, I'm going to tow my boat once a year. Uh, or, you know, I'm going to be, you know, taking a road trip with my family once or twice a year. So that's why we buy cars. And so there's a huge price to pay, not only because of the size of cars that society pays, the fuel economy goes down. People won't realize the societal costs of that 0.1% use case. So given that this is the needs for US to Americans like us to buy these cars, it's a worthwhile investment, uh, like the highway bill that Eisenhower passed. Uh, so I recognize this. Um, what we need to also recognize is a small percentage of that funds should be put into workplace charging. So that way, it's easier for the grid to support those cars that fast charge. Mm, so, I got you. Um, so as long as we deploy some of this for workplace charging, some of the bills and a lot of it's state controlled, they have the fallacy of having those incentives for public accessible charge stations. Most people where they work, it's behind the fence. Mm. So there's uh, tweaks to the bills that need to be changed. Otherwise, there's going to be a lot of a lot of expense and a lot of wasted effort. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one point. Um, if you want, I can comment on Biden and Elon. Would that be uh, interesting? Oh, fuck, please. That's why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> so this is probably more interesting than me talking about me personally in the company. Take the bait. Um, <laughs> so so uh, Biden is very much affiliated to the unions and he's made no quarrels about it. Tesla is not unionized and they do not want to be for a lot of reasons. Uh, for one, I could say there is an adversary uh, relationship between line worker and company that exists that uh, wouldn't be compatible with the Tesla culture that I knew, I know, and I knew. And basically everyone at Tesla has a little bit of ownership in the company. So there's a different business culture. And that's why Elon, is I'm not excited if Tesla's factory workers unionize. 
Um, and so Biden's uh, had uh, an event where he invited GM, Ford and Chrysler and said, these are the leaders of electric vehicle development and really kind of uh, gave Elon a subtle slap. Um, so Elon and Biden are unfortunately working against each other and they need to work together. Since then, I think Elon's promoted Republicans. And um, what's the biggest thing that really upsets me is that this has become so politicized. This is not a uh, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal issue. This is about energy independence. And I think there's a couple of ways to achieve energy independence. And if right now the Republican stance is, let me drill, baby, drill, right? The Democrats are like, well, let me build more solar panels and, uh, and windmills. And obviously, um, from a long-term sustainability, CO2, uh, and I will say even cost, especially if you factor in the cost of uh, militarization, of protection of these oil assets in unfriendly parts of the world, um, it's expensive and dirty to drill oil even in our backyard. Mm -hmm. Yep. Couldn't agree with you more. It is, um, <clears throat> it is what's not said on a tweet <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that provides the context for it all. Yeah. Um, so I gave you my unfiltered. Uh, I'm not as popular and, as Biden and Elon right now. So I can uh, Exactly. That's yeah, yeah, good. And you, and everybody heard it here first on the Map Round Show, right? <laughs> so, you know, I'm winning here. <laughs> uh, cool. So I just want to change gears for a moment uh, and quickly talk about funding. So uh, you guys uh, have closed around uh, of Series A, 17-odd million uh, dollars uh, to fund your, your next chapter of your growth. Um, so two things. When did that close? I, I didn't have Crunchbase open then. Yeah, yeah, we closed a few months back. Uh, okay. EIF Ecosystem Integrity Fund was our lead for a round, and they are a hard tech investor. Our seed round was led by 8BC, who's also done some hard tech investments in Mike the Boring Company and some uh, battery material companies. Sila is one of them. So we have some hard tech uh, investors, uh, which I definitely appreciate. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, how did you, what was your experience? So I have like an ongoing, you know, sort of segments on the show where I'm like, hey, like, so you just closed around like two months ago. Everyone's like, ah, bitching and moaning about the market and, and why it's tough and it is. Um, but what was your experience on the ground? Did you find it easier than you anticipated or? Yeah, you know? it was much harder, especially in the space that we have of hardware um, and I'll just kind of get more political, which is interesting. And like, finally, um, I think in the U S we're realizing the importance of, uh, manufacturing. We've have abandoned middle America, like the West coast and has been doing the tech, the East coast has been financing it. And, uh, a lot of these funds to build, uh, our products have gone to Asia and it's come at the sacrifice of, uh, manufacturing jobs. So. Um, I think the government's also realizing from a security standpoint, this is something that Republicans should gravitate on. Um, it's important that we build things like semiconductors and batteries in the U.S. Um, however, the best uh, choice, I think, is to have peaceful relations with China. There's been a quid pro quo that's existed where, hey, if you're doing hardware, get it built in China. If you're doing software, we'll do it in California. 
and those walls have now been broken, you know, good or bad. And uh, so I think if you're doing software, it's still easy, relatively easy to find investors in the U.S. If you're doing hardware, it is now getting easier because of all the incentives that the government's putting out to build stuff in the U.S. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, so I want to have a quick bit of uh, fun with uh, with you, if you don't mind. Okay. Um, so <laughs> don't worry, you're in safe hands. Um, but uh, so okay, so I'm going to give you the keys to the Map Round Show time machine, right? So so if I could give you the opportunity to go back to yourself on day one, uh, f- five years ago, um, and if you think about all the things you failed at, all the things you've succeeded at, etc., what advice would you give yourself on day one about building AMP or AMP? You know, so it's interesting. We actually started out doing a little bit autonomous driving and I wasn't, and this is, I think my fallacy is I'm not uh, focused in general. I kind of go broad and, but I can go deep and that's what makes me unique. But that focus as a startup, pick uh, that one thing that you're uh, really good at and identify, make sure the market actually needs it. And interesting enough, the market hasn't really needed the autonomous driving but they've needed the electrification part more. So that, that part I wish I could have accelerated. We would have been a couple of years further along than we are now. Mm-hmm. So then uh, maybe to double, to go deeper, to use your words on this journey that you've been on, uh, what would you say has been your greatest failure, quote unquote, um, and what did you learn from it? The greatest failure, uh, okay. Um, I think when we, uh, it doesn't count till you're in production and when it's real. And to be honest, like the Model S, what comes to mind, there's been a few things that I've taken to production. Ironically, when we launched the Model S, the battery, the big battery was great. My side job was managing the 12 volt battery. And the two big failures when the models launched were the uh, door handles and the 12-volt battery. And I was doing just the software controls. There were other pieces such as the battery manufacturing quality, which I took for granted, and that ended up biting me in the butt. So um, so I was out kind of announcing here, let it out. The way Elon works, uh, the batteries were failing. Who's responsible for the 12-volt battery? Anil, no questions asked. Uh, do we, can we replace him? Uh, I think I got moved on at Tesla, like because of that situation. So, and that's mm. uh, ended up being a good thing for me anyway. Uh, and obviously, Tesla's uh, gone on to success, but I'm mm. taking a little bit different approach than Elon. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm sure you are. Yes. Tell me, yes. um, what are you struggling with now? Like, in other words, like what is occupying your mind as a kind of an immediate. Issue um, challenge. Yeah, no, no. It's exactly the same thing I just said. Okay. So we're in our age of industrialization. We have real battery management charging product out there. So first off, um, is it safe? Is, are we going to have anything light on fire? What we do is is very uh, risky if not done, designed correctly, manufactured correctly. And a lot of those pieces, we're using outside manufacturers. So having those right checks and balances. Definitely keep us 
uh, up at night. And, you know, secondarily, um, you know, we're all in on this. And if we have a design defect, which uh, requires a, a recall because of the hardware aspect, that is a little bit risky. So we've got to make sure, like, you know, we adequately test, validate across, you know, all our T's and all our I's in our design. But those things are not easy to solve. And that's why there's people, few only, like I said, five companies that can do what we can do. So um, <clears throat> just a quick one on scale. Um, how do you scale something with what you've built? Because it's not like a SaaS product. It's it's hardware. It's hard science, hard, hard stuff. Um, so how do you scale with a business such as yourself? Do you go through distribution companies or strategic partnerships as a key driver, driver, driver of scale? Because um, obviously it's not direct to consumer here. So uh, walk us through what that, what that looks like in yeah. your world. Yeah, well, we're doing one, we're doing a little bit more, more, as I mentioned earlier, developing some cloud software. And this is being venture back. All our investors and all investors love software because I could just write some code and type a few keys on the keyboard and it's deployed and can scale if it's a great product. I do think, though, um, and if you look at Tesla, Tesla is a car company. I don't think so. Is it a tech company? I don't think so. What Tesla is, is a manufacturing company. And people don't ever want to say that because there's not the sex appeal of it, but, it, but it's true. And I think for us to basically change people's lives, there is going to be hardware aspects for our business. And so what we have to do is create reusable hardware built by great manufacturing partners, and then we can achieve that proper scale. Cool. Um, so are there any tools or resources that you use, Anil, to, uh, from a performance perspective or from a life management perspective? So books, other resources, practices that you use? Um, I do read, um, uh, not as much as I like, but I read a lot of uh, uh, nonfiction. Um, so, and a lot of business books, um, and I don't know if I, I can, um, uh, let's say, uh, promote one of them. Um, I think there's so much good knowledge out there. Um, and I think being CEO, I have to be that broad and I have to be an information sponge. And so just talking to other leaders um, and uh, reading a wide variety of books, um, I think really helped me. And, and on the internet, and then I think maybe I, I'm slightly guilty of this, but my intention span is a much shorter. So, um, and the internet really, um, you know, advertises towards that short attention span. So I don't know if I have one book that I can definitely promote, but, um, but I think as a leader, it's important to like definitely read. And even I'm reading stuff on the economy, trying to think, you know, stuff that I wouldn't necessarily be interested in. Like, hey, what's hearing uh, Yellen uh, on 60 Minutes last night? I'm like, oh my, I got to watch, see what she says, and see if I can get any insights to make decisions. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I did a promotion. I didn't mean to. 60 Minutes. Pretty good piece. <laughs> Amazing. You get into branding at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, um, Anil, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. One more thing and we'll let you go. Um, but why do you do what you do? Like what gets you out of bed in the morning? 
um, I really will feel for fulfilled if uh, people can um, can enjoy uh, blue skies every day, and this is everyone in the world with very little uh, uh, economic cost to do that. And so um, I'm really on a mission to end energy poverty. Amazing stuff. And Neil, being a, being a real privilege uh, and a joy chatting to you, man. It's been great to uh, to finally get you on the show. Um, and yeah, wishing you and the team all the very best of the of the future. It's a trillion dollar opportunity. So <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> Don't crash the car, bro. <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been a yeah. pleasure. Anytime. All righty, guys. Thank you. Ciao Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.